1: G, 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 take me today
0: Welcome to another episode of The Gary Hour. I'm your host, Gary Levitt. This week, I talked to filmmaker and TED Talks giver, Savannah Rogers. We're going to hear about filmmaking, what goes into giving a TED Talk, and we're going to hear her coming out story, growing up in Kansas. This episode is brought to you by Future Moments, makers of mobile apps for content creation, If you're a filmmaker, a musician, a podcaster, a voiceover artist, whatever content you create, go to the App Store and search for Future Moments because they have an app that'll make your life easier and your production so much better. All right, check out the show notes for links to Savannah's work, which is really great, and I think you should check it out. And uh, enjoy. awesome yeah you're really good oh thanks man uh savannah rogers thanks for being here you are a excellent you're an excellent filmmaker i gotta say everything that's on your site is really well done
1: oh thanks man appreciate it
0: but before we get to your work i want to ask you you're here in new york from kansas city missouri
1: Uh, I'm from the Kansas side, but it's all Kansas City.
0: It's all a rural, middle America place.
1: Well, Kansas City's not that rural. I mean, it's like, it's pretty like, it's the metropolitan area that everybody kind of flocks to.
0: Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, not rural. I'm from the suburbs. (laughs) (laughs) There's people.
1: There are people. Right. I can confirm there are people there.
0: Well, a, a listener and friend of mine said that, one of his complaints was that I always have New Yorkers on, and they complain about how hard New York is. And he lives in the mountains in Colorado, and he's like, "Let them experience a winter in Colorado, <laughs> see how hard it is." Yeah. So it's nice to have a non-New Yorker here.
1: Oh yeah, it's uh, I've you know I've only been here a few months, but uh, I feel embraced by the city, and mm-hmm. also equally embraced by everybody back home. So it's nice to kind of straddle that line.
0: Yeah, you're in that sweet in between where New York hasn't chewed you up yet.
1: Yeah. So far, New York's been, like, super awesome to me. No, New
0: York's great, yeah. (laughs) But you're here because you got selected as for a TED residency? Yeah, yeah. Okay, what is a TED residency?
1: This is the question I probably get the most since I, like, moved here. Uh, Right. So, basically, TED is, you know, TED Talks, ideas worth spreading. That's their whole thing. And so, what they offer is a 14-week residency for... People of all different disciplines, so like journalists are in the program, uh, photographers, you know, biologists, like all kinds of different disciplines, right? And everybody comes together for 14 weeks. There's 20 of us, and we work on our separate projects, and we also all work on a separate TED Talk, and then we all give our TED Talks at the end of the 14 weeks, which is coming up real soon.
0: Yeah, when is yours?
1: Uh, I give it December 5th.
0: And you ju- you tape it live once, that's it, and it airs?
1: Uh, yeah, so... We'll, so it's called a salon and mm-hmm. so we all give our TED talks in a salon and uh, basically they film it like and a nail a, salon no no like a like a like a fucking <laughs> what do you call it like a like a presentation right
0: like a symposium yeah
1: like a symposium and so we all like 10 of us will go each day and like there's an audience and it's like in this like auditorium that's at the TED headquarters and uh, it's it's pretty rad and so we all give our talks and then a couple months later they show up on TED.com
0: nice so Obvious next question. Yeah. What is your TED talk on? Uh your theory, your thesis.
1: <laughs> so it's like it's weird because like this TED Talk is kind of a culmination of like the three questions I get asked most all the time. Uh, which uh-huh. is how did you become a filmmaker? How did you come out? And come
0: uh, out because you're because i queer. Yeah. Okay. I'm um, yeah.
1: pansexual, but it's all gay. It's all gay. Everything's gay. Okay. Um,
0: pansexual, you have to define that for me.
1: Sure. And then um, and then, uh, what was the other thing that people always Number ask Number three. Oh, um, uh, what's my favorite movie? Because I'm a filmmaker. Huh. And so, my talk is on basically how the movie Chasing Amy kind of like changed my life for the better mm-hmm. and, you know, how it's such a rad movie to me and what that did for me as a queer kid in Kansas who like didn't know anything. You know, I was pretty, I wasn't, I wouldn't say that sheltered, but I didn't know about too much queer stuff. I didn't know, uh, you know, what any of these terms really meant. I knew what gay was, but I didn't know what bisexual or pansexual was. Right. And so this movie, like, fundamentally changed my life.
0: How old were you when you realized that you were not heterosexual?
1: It's it's a weird question because it's like, I think the first... Because that's th- the
0: default. Yeah. Right?
1: Yeah. Like Yeah, I mean, like... People just assume you're, like, straight until otherwise proven gay, pretty exactly. much. Which <laughs> exactly. I would say is the opposite. And for me, everybody's queer until they... I hope they...
0: that's in your TED <laughs> Talk. That's a good line. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's in my next TED Talk. But how... Why everybody's queer until otherwise proven straight. Yeah. Um, so... <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no. Uh, I had my first crush on a girl when I was, like, five. Mm-hmm. And it was weird because I, like, hated her at the same time, too. This has been Oof. a pattern. <laughs> it's been a pattern with uh, all my previous partners until my current one and uh which is a whole other that's another ted talk too
0: um (laughs) well we'll get to this yeah yeah yeah.
1: (laughs) but uh you know i didn't i didn't really know until like i saw other people who were queer Mm -hmm. but i was pretty like asexual until i was like a teenager you know so like i had crushes like on people but like i also had friend crushes on people it's kind of hard to right decipher when you're kind of like a kid that doesn't You know, I didn't have a lot of social skills. I didn't, I wasn't very present in terms of understanding social interactions. Were
0: you not exposed to other queer people?
1: Uh, my mom's best friend was gay. And Mm -hmm. so I knew what gay meant. Okay. But I also knew, like, that's not entirely me.
0: Was your mom's best friend uh a... it was a man man okay. yeah so, so that's he was a gay little, man mm-hmm.
1: yeah so i mean like you you know my mom always told me like if you were gay i would love you no matter what and i was like cool mom uh, was she like
0: trying to drop a hint
1: well apparently <laughs> so this is interesting she said when i was young i was like i i was like i'm i'm gonna marry a girl i'll never marry a boy and i was like wow that would have been really fucking helpful to know <laughs>
0: <laughs> that was your first sentence <laughs> yeah pretty much she, she didn't tell you
1: gay from the womb uh, no but it's uh you know it's it's so everything's weird, you know. I I but once I saw Chasing Amy, I was like, oh, sexuality can be fluid. Right? What, what
0: can you give us a synopsis of that movie?
1: Yeah, so Chasing Amy is a is a romantic comedy from 1997 uh, about a man who falls in love with a self-identified lesbian, and then they become best friends, and they fall in love after being best friends, and then their relationship kind of implodes after he realizes that she's that he's not the only man she's ever been with Uh uh-huh and so but it's it's really you know it's from the guy's perspective but it's really about this like woman and fluid sexuality and you know love and loss and relationships and it's a really beautiful film and when i saw that you know something i didn't quite understand everything the first time i saw it because i was 12 right but it it did a lot for me and so
0: because it was your first introduction to an alternative sexuality
1: Pretty much. I mean, you know, my mom was always like, we love you if you're gay. And I was like, great. Mm -hmm. But like, you know, I didn't entirely identify with that term. And, you know, after a lot of, you know, searching after seeing this movie, because I didn't know there were other gay movies. Right. um, (laughs) 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 You know, it was... uh, The term pansexual is what most uh, resonated with me, which just means like you know, I'm attracted to people regardless of their gender. So, you know, um, it's really for me personally, it's about the emotional connection. You know, different people who are pansexual have different definitions, but it's pretty inclusive of people regardless of where they are on the gender spectrum or sexuality. And it's just, you know, for me, it's about the person.
0: Is from a term point of view, is it more encompassing than bisexual?
1: Some people would argue that I think that pansexual falls under like the, it's also complicated sometimes needlessly, but (laughs) I would, you know, there's this thing called the bisexual umbrella where like, you know, you have like a tab here that says bisexual. And then under that there are a couple of things that are like encompassed within that term. Right. And so pansexual is just a little more specific, I guess, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, people have this like egalitarian view of sexuality sometimes, where you know in an ideal world everybody is pansexual right right and that's how i feel
0: yeah is that i, I, I like I don't that care. better than bisexual yeah it's like all encompassing
1: i you know it's a it's all good with me but you know pansexual is what feels best to me and uh you know i'm attracted to men sometimes in spite of their personalities <laughs> you know
0: but quite an accomplishment
1: <laughs> i i would say so
0: so you're attracted to the people
1: exactly mm-hmm. and uh so but like i found my i feel like i found my person you know um i've been with my partner four years now mm-hmm. but we met online and before i ever saw her face or her, you know heard her voice i was like in love with her
0: just through text
1: yeah just through like messaging each other yeah i was like i feel really seen by this person mm-hmm. and
0: uh what yeah. app did you meet on uh
1: it was a social networking site called tumblr
0: Oh yeah. yeah. Tumblr. Huh? Yeah. That's was, not, that's not a dating app. No, also. not at all. Yeah. You just yeah. read her blogs.
1: Yeah. Like we just became friends cause we both liked the TV show Glee,
0: uh-huh. which was right.
1: <laughs> another person who changed my life. Ryan Murphy, the creator of Glee, you know, it's, yeah. uh, it's, but it all, it's so weird how everything connects, but you know, I, I never knew what she looked like. And then uh, I just like fell in love with her hard. Um, but she had started dating somebody else pretty immediately after we met. And mm-hmm. so like, I waited a long time. And so we were friends for like a year and a half, two years before I said anything. Yeah. And then we had just kind of just been dating ever since I, I told her after she had broken up with that uh, person.
0: Right. So looks must matter in some way though.
1: Yeah. Like I'm deeply attracted to her, but you know, I became deeply attracted to her after I, like I fell in love with her. Right. You know, mm-hmm. but like, um, you know, people are attractive to me. I'll be like, wow, that person's gorgeous or. Something, but uh, for me, it's just all about that connection Mm -hmm. because I can't, I can't deal with people who I'm not connected to.
0: So as a pansexual, do you have to come out? Like, did yeah. you have to, you have to come out to your yeah. mom? We,
1: yeah. So that was uh, a big, that's a big talking point in the TED talk. Yeah, that that's, I'm trying to stay on track here.
0: <laughs> trying to be professional.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so I, so in the, so in the TED talk, I, I discuss, uh, you know, coming out, seeing mm-hmm. this movie and, uh, becoming a filmmaker. And so all three of those kind of questions that I always get are kind of answered once and for all. It's like right. the, in a six minute TED talk, I encompass like, like this huge part of my life, I feel like, and, uh. I feel, I feel proud of it.
0: How was it when you, how old were you and how did it go when you came out to your mom? Um,
1: I was 19 when I came out, I think, or it was 18. I was 18 when I came out to my mom and 19 when I like just came out, period. Mm -hmm. Um, it's
0: all your friends, other family members.
1: Yeah. So I came out to my mom at 18 after I graduated high school, like right before college, just Mm -hmm. because it was just, it was such a pain in the ass to be closeted. But, um, you know I, why why
0: was that a pain in the ass
1: because you feel like you're hiding Everything and I never knew, you know, I didn't know like how coming out would like make me feel right. I didn't know that it would just like set me free. Yeah. I, I had no idea. You know, I again, I didn't have Resources the same way. I always look back at like my past self. And I'm like, wow What a dumbass you didn't know this but like I didn't have like the resources or tools to know that like hey When you come out, you're gonna feel a lot better, right? Um,
0: I mean people must have suspected
1: I mean, yeah, I was like terrible at being closeted. <laughs> Made very little efforts to hide stuff. You know, like if somebody, you know, ever said like a, a homophobic story, I'd be like, hey, don't fucking say that. Right. But, which isn't like a, a thing that straight people often do when you're like 13 in Kansas. Right. You know, like defending, you know, queer people who allegedly aren't present. <laughs> you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, even if they don't even really know what they're saying.
1: Exactly. And, uh, you know, I was always like, don't say that because, Mm -hmm. you know, I did have the context of my mom's best friend is gay and I was told that this is a word that is really hurtful to people.
0: Right. There's real people. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, uh, but then I realized, oh, this is hurtful to me too. Mm -hmm. Um, so coming out's always like a weird process, but I did come out to my mom at 18 and then at 19 I was like, I'm really tired of telling people individually. I'm just going to like come out.
0: On, on Facebook or whatever. Yeah, I had, flying like... Flying blimp with a flag.
1: Yeah, I had, like, yeah. a, a YouTube video that I was like, hey, I'm pansexual, and I'm kind of done with this shit. And uh, I didn't think anybody had, like, watched it. Yeah. But then, you know, um, a couple a couple months ago, like, around Pride, uh, this, this, inter- this other internet friend I had, we met at, like, a comic convention, and then for the last couple of years, we had sustained our friendship through the internet, and he told me, like, hey, like, I realized I was bisexual after you made that video, by the way. I never told you that, but, like... I came out after you did because you you said that, mm-hmm. and I didn't know that was an option for me before. And I was like, "Holy shit!"
0: That must have felt great.
1: It felt amazing.
0: Yeah, um, that probably. It seems like that might inform your filmmaking too.
1: One hundred percent. So I have a policy of no sad gay movies, at least for narrative stuff. Uh huh. Where like you know like you know I've done sad stuff in the past, but I'm just like. There's like way too much sad queer and trans stories out there right now. Right. There are way too many of them and it's a bummer, you know, like when the only representations you see of yourself in the world are rooted in just like how much it sucks to be Mm -hmm. you. Right. And so I try to make stuff that's happy or fun or comedic where like queer people can be funny and queer people can be interesting and multifaceted without it being rooted in kind of melodrama.
0: Yeah. Um, Yeah. Before so, we, before yeah. I wanted to talk about your work, but I, st- I want to go back a little bit. Oh yeah, because you must have been dreading coming out to not only your mom. Yeah, where's your dad?
1: Um, so my stepdad, uh, he is from Australia, but he lives with my mom, That's and right. they're actually coming into town to visit today, which is you know, which is fun because it's the first time they've been to New York since I moved here. Nice. But uh, they're extremely supportive. Mm-hmm. My mom and my, and my stepdad are extremely supportive. Were
0: you dreading? Having that conversation with them?
1: Um, yeah, but, you know, and they were like always progressive. They weren't homophobic. They never, Right.
0: Not re- hyper-religious or No, anything. not at all. So like, there's no threat of like being thrown out?
1: Not at all. I mean, like I, I really have the best family to come out to Was you know, queer. You know, it's a, it's a progressive family in the Kansas suburbs. Right. You know, it's rare, but yeah. they, they exist.
0: Because for some kids coming out is not a good idea if they lose their home.
1: One hundred percent. They end up on the streets. And so I never berate anybody or judge anybody for not coming out because it's not safe. But for me, I knew that I wouldn't be kicked out. Right. So first
0: of all is your safety. Yeah. And then second is your personal freedom.
1: Exactly. And when I came out, it just like set me free. But... Um, I didn't intend on coming out uh-huh. as quickly as I did. I yeah. was like going to tell them eventually. My partner Riley is actually the first person I ever purposefully came out to mm-hmm. because I wanted her to know that I liked her.
0: <laughs> right. So <laughs> she was just your friend at the time. Yeah. Yeah. you were 19.
1: I was 17 when we met. Okay. And uh, I told her that I was. I thought I was pansexual, and she was like, oh, "Okay, that's cool." And I was just like,
0: <clears throat> intense,
1: <laughs> loving me back, <laughs> and so, and so I told my mom years later, and you know, Riley really helped me uh, get the guts to do it. Um, but what? I didn't come out to her on purpose. Did like Riley that say day. yes? Whoa. was riley into it oh yeah riley i mean clearly riley's into it i mean we're together now it's been four years oh
0: that's that's the, the, yeah. oh okay yeah yeah yeah. okay yeah
1: sorry if i didn't make that clear I'm riley's my the partner together yeah yeah. yeah yeah sorry if this is like really scattered storytelling i promise that my ted talk is more coherent <laughs> than whatever we're doing right now uh but yeah it's a
0: uh, so she helps yeah. you yeah come out
1: Yeah, I was really scared, and she had known that she was a lesbian um, for a long time, and she actually didn't come out until two years into our relationship to, like, her family.
0: Wow. Yeah. So, she just introduced you as her her friend.
1: Yeah, everybody in in America knew, but she's from Mexico City, and so nobody in Mexico really knew, except, like, her friends. Right. Her family didn't know. Mm -hmm. So, um, now she's out to everybody, which is awesome and liberating for her, but, you know... um, I never judge people for not coming out fast enough.
0: Yeah. I mean, if your mom had a gay best friend mm-hmm. and you knew she was tolerant, yeah. why were you still hesitant?
1: Cause it's so scary to like admit these things to yourself and to put out into the world. Like, hey, this is who I am, and you don't know if there's going to be a major paradigm shift with how they see you. Right, Um, because you're
0: making yourself vulnerable.
1: Right, and I was dealing with like some really intense depression and anxiety, and I had been having a really hard time in school. And so I never felt shame as like, like for being queer, but I felt shame for how everybody else reacted to the idea of me being queer because I had a really hard time in school. Um, it, and, you know, there were multiple reasons I had a hard time in school, mm-hmm. but like, you know, because I didn't have social skills. I was a fucking weirdo, you mm-hmm. know, but a big part of it is, you know, w- there was a lot of homophobic bullying that made my life more difficult. Right. and made it a lot harder to connect to people the way that I wanted to. Right? Because in some sense, like I figured out that like, okay, I'm not connecting to people the way I want to. I want to be friends with these people but uh, they hate this part of me. And what part of you? The the queer part, yeah. you know. Like so What
0: what now can you define what part is that? Cuz they don't know that you're queer. They just sense that you're but, not a typical old-fashioned.
1: But when I dress masculine, right. You know, I I I pretty much have tried to dress this way my whole life and then I You like, just
0: look like a regular you're not wearing a dress right now no, t-shirt, I, jeans. Je- t-shirt
1: jeans t-shirt jeans I wo- kind
0: of look dressed identically actually <laughs> <laughs> you have the same blue sweatshirt on that I'm wearing right Pre- now
1: pretty much and like <laughs> You know, so I would wear, you know, boys Mm -hmm. t-shirts, boys jeans that were kind of baggier, you know, they didn't hug my butt very much. I wore boy sneakers, you know, I had uh, long hair that I wore in a ponytail every day. You know, I was an athlete, you know, I didn't want to do my hair or anything like that. I also did no concept of it. So not only was I a weirdo, but I presented pretty masculine at a time where like... It seemed like every other girl dressed very feminine. Right. And this was like when like Abercrombie and Hollister were like really big. Uh-huh. You know, like that's when I went to school. And right. so everybody had, or like Aeropostale or like all of these like different uh, like clothing brands and like everybody was dressed really feminine and I was not, and I had no interest in doing it, but... Uh, right. I, so
0: so the identity that your yeah. classmates had was a much wider, yeah. more common identity. Totally. Where yours is... Uh, not you, you don't see it in Abercrombie and Fitch catalog. <laughs>
1: no, not at all. So your
0: classmates treated you badly because of that.
1: I think so. I mean, I think, you know, again, a lot of reasons, I think, that they that I did not get along well in school. I was weird. I didn't know how to talk to people. Right. But uh, also presented, uh, you know, as a a queer person, you know, or gender nonconforming. And uh, I think because of that, that was just another target on my back. Mm -hmm. But I had no social skills. Like, I just, I was really naive. I didn't understand, like, social interactions at all. Uh, There were a lot of reasons, again. But I will blame the homophobic people for the stuff that they did, so uh
0: and, and kids, especially at that age could be mean,
1: yeah, really fucking mean, <laughs> yeah, I
0: yeah. mean, if you've ever read Lord of the Flies, that pretty much sums it up,
1: oh yeah, that was uh <laughs> that was the book that we had to read the summer going into ninth grade, yeah, and I was just like man, all you bitches at school are like this. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. That that
0: gets you ready for high school. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's a weird thing about human nature that way.
1: Yeah. And I'm sure, you know, a lot of these people like maybe aren't homophobic anymore or maybe they are, you know, but, um, that was my experience in school and it wasn't great. And, you know, I think as a result, I became a lot meaner Mm -hmm. because like when you're treated like shit, you start to treat other people like shit. Right. And so the
0: abused often becomes the abuser.
1: Yeah. So I don't know if I was a dick to anybody in high school. If so, sorry. Right. (laughs) Like, but, uh, Uh, I did not have a good time in school and so that really made it difficult for me to come out to my family because I was like I know that you guys love me but also I can't be a hundred percent sure that you're gonna love me after this
0: right so what happened when you came out did was was it the opposite where they actually gave you a lot of support that gave you strength
1: oh totally my mom was like is that what all this like drama has been about and I'm like yes of Uh course that's what it's about right you know and uh, they didn't really know what pansexual meant and I explained it to them. and then it became a running joke in my family that I was half gay. That's a whole thing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right.
1: But it's, uh, you know, they were, they were so supportive. I mean, I couldn't have asked for a better family. I mean, they were just, they're, they're the best. Yeah. yeah. So
0: you didn't have to come out in high school. Or no, you didn't come I out? Wait,
1: I waited mm-hmm. for sure. The only person I came out to on purpose in high school was my girlfriend.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, Good thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah wait so we're not just friends yeah, exactly yeah no I. you've been, been, been putting your tongue in my mouth this whole time and you're not gay
1: <laughs> well no 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 i mean my my current girlfriend sorry right. I, like uh, riley who was in mexico city um, yeah. the whole time so like the only person i talked like just talked to her every fucking day and you know she supported me and i supported her we we had a hard time we were little queer idiot babies who didn't know anything right <laughs> so uh, but we had each other
0: young, young love yeah sure mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> <laughs> so the ted talk is really gonna focus the main focus is your filmmaking but then you're breaking it apart into all these different these three different things so i'm becoming you
1: it's a, it's so it's a personal story so it starts mm-hmm. when i'm 12 and i see the movie and then it ends with me at the current moment you know about to make a movie about mm. chasing amy
0: Is that what you're working on?
1: Yeah. So my project that I've been working on at TED is a documentary about Chasing Amy and its cultural impact on queer people. Mm -hmm. And so through my six-minute talk, I talk about my personal element a lot. And then, you know, the idea is that the TED Talk will be included in the documentary I'm making. Mm -hmm. It's kind of fun.
0: Yeah. Is it a lot of work?
1: A lot of work. But I've had some really good calls and I've got people who are interested in, like, helping. You know, I I got off the phone with a, a great comic book writer who... Um, who contributed some uh, artwork to the movie today, and that was really fulfilling because
0: is Ted helping you with the with the movie?
1: Yeah, so they're connecting me with people I would never uh, know how to get a hold of
0: right. otherwise. Yeah, because they they call on behalf of Ted.
1: Yeah, like they'll eat. Like I'll talk to my program head uh, Cindy Stivers, who's amazing. She used to be the editor in chief and president of Time Out. She's had an incredible career, um, and she is the director of the TED Fellowship. or uh, the ted residency there is a fellowship but she's the director of the ted residency that i'm a part of and you know she's offering me all this advice she'll email uh to vouch for me you know it's Mm -hmm. uh it's pretty incredible
0: yeah you've hitched to something that's bigger exactly
1: so ted doesn't offer like financial support for the movie but this movie is happening very much thanks to ted because Mm -hmm. we were kind of stagnant stagnant in our uh, pre-production process for a bit because i was like okay well how do we how do I get to New York with no money? You right. know, how do I get the first part of this shoot done with no money? How do you I start? hitchhike
0: and you end up living in a box?
1: Exactly. <laughs> and uh, I didn't want to do that. So uh, I, you know, I got this opportunity and ran with it. And so Ted has been really instrumental in helping me, you know, get this done. And so the week after my Ted talk, I start my first round of interviews for the movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's it's really exciting. Is
0: How long is the movie going to be?
1: Uh, We're anticipating a feature, so 90 minutes.
0: Okay, because that's one thing. Another thing I want to talk to you about is that you have a lot of shorts. Mm -hmm. Um, And you also are a programmer for Slamdance? Yes. For the shorts? Yes. Now, I see a lot of this more and more uh, filmmakers making shorts. Mm -hmm. Do you think there's a place for that in the future? You don't see much of it on Netflix or uh, television in general. Is there a place for that in the future? And will that become more common?
1: I hope so. I mean, I think, you know, when you're in film school, they tell you a short film is a great way to learn how to make a feature film. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a great building block for any filmmaker of any experience level, because if you can be trusted to tell a five minute story, you can be trusted to tell a 10 minute story and so on and so on. It teaches you how to be succinct in your storytelling approach and how to be disciplined, how to only include what matters like what really matters to your story. Right. And so, you know, I've been doing shorts for the last couple of years just to get my foot in the door places, to go to film festivals, to get into rooms that I normally wouldn't, you know, be able to do, but also to prepare myself for, okay, someday I want to make a feature, and that's a big commitment with a lot of money, On you time. know. Yeah. And so, if you can make a short film that's really effective, you know, it's it's a it, it's proof that you can be trusted with more time and more money and more responsibility. Yeah. And so, my goal has been to make a couple of outstanding short films and then I will trust myself for the future, but yeah. you know, like a narrative feature, you know? And then I wanted the first documentary feature I did to be really, uh, special to me. And this, I feel like everybody's first feature is personal in some way, right? right. Like if you watch any director's first feature, you know, it says something about them,
0: mm.
1: you know? Mm-hmm. And, and so this chasing Amy documentary, very overtly says a lot about me because right. I'm in it. I have to be in it. Um, so you're
0: going to direct it and be in it?
1: Just a little bit. Like, I don't want to be in it as much as, like, Michael is in his movies. Right. But uh, I have to be in it to shape the narrative of this is a personal story to me, but also this is much bigger than me.
0: Right, because people are going to want to put a face to it.
1: Exactly. It's like, who cares about Chasing Amy so fucking much that they (laughs) made a movie about it?
0: Right, it's not really about Chasing Amy. It's really about you and the larger impact.
1: Yeah, the impact that this movie has had on queer people and you know, assessing its legacy. Right. And I'm the catalyst to give a shit about it, according to everybody I've talked to. If I'm wrong, I'm happy to be wrong.
0: (laughs) When you first started doing uh, shorts, Mm -hmm. like maybe your first or second one, were you surprised at how much... Work and labor it takes just to make a five or ten minute short?
1: Oh, I mean, yeah. I I didn't know anything about making movies when I first got started. I I think a lot
0: of people don't realize how much work and time and people go into it.
1: Yeah, I mean... My first short was so bad. Nobody will ever see it.
0: It's not available
1: online. 100% not. Yeah. But I watch it, you know, when I'm feeling like bad. I'm like, you know, if I if, if there's ever a moment of self-doubt, I'll like put that on and I'll be like, you know what? I've gotten a lot better since this. Yeah. Um, and so the first short I put on the circuit, I'm pretty proud of. But, um, you know, that's my official first short film. But the first one I ever tried to make was so horrendously bad.
0: What went wrong?
1: everything i mean i didn't know about lights i didn't know about like how to cast somebody well i didn't understand principles of acting i mean i didn't know anything i just wanted to make this movie i had written a script and it was like a silent film except for one line of dialogue and it was so fucking bad
0: well at least she didn't screw up the sound
1: Uh, Yeah, exactly. But you'd be surprised. (laughs) You'd be surprised how much I fucked up. It was
0: so bad. You screwed up the sound to a silent film.
1: A little bit. Well, there's one line of dialogue and it just sounded like echoey. And I was just like, how the fuck does anybody do anything? Like, (laughs) how does this work? And so like after that experience, I was like, this isn't this isn't what I wanted. How do I make this better? And, you know, I have nothing if not determined. So I, I basically like really studied how to make films better you know mm. i went to film school but i also immersed myself in every possible situation i could to like learn how to do stuff i learned from people who were more experienced than me i partnered up with people who knew more than me and that i but i had the story to offer that maybe they didn't right um and it uh it's worked out it's just like a process of doing what really. would
0: you say the three most important things are is it lighting casting sound
1: um well, in terms of like specific production elements, yeah, probably, but I, w- I would honestly really just say like, have an important, have a story that needs to be a movie, you know, like right. have a story that like matters, like mm-hmm. to you, if nothing, like... Like really, I watch a lot of movies. I watch a lot of movies for fun, for programming, for different festivals, for you know, as an audience member at a festival, or you know, just uh, you know, watching stuff online. You know, Mm -hmm. I try to. I'm always trying to learn more, and you can tell when somebody you know didn't put their whole heart into it. Yeah. And if you have that heart, and you have that story, and you are really self aware about what makes a movie good, like if you have that self awareness of you know, this wasn't great about my last movie. Let me put this into my next one. Or, you know... Do you think people are...
0: Like, maybe they intend to put their heart into it, and then they get a little scared, or they get a little too intellectual about it, and then they do something in the edit to kind of take away their vulnerability, take their vulnerability out of it?
1: Sometimes. You know, I'm not here to, to, to judge anybody else, you know? But I do think that that really matters, is, you know what's authentic about your movie. Right. Um, And for the last, you know, after I graduated college, right, you know, I had a pretty, I had a pretty successful student film career and I was like, okay, I gotta get out of like JV though. Like I gotta Mm -hmm. bump myself up to varsity. How am I gonna do this? And I really took a long time to just like be introspective of what do I want to do? What do I care about? And um, I think if people were that honest with themselves and maybe had a hard time reckoning that, you know, those things with themselves that, maybe they'd be able to, to to tell stories that maybe feel more authentic to them, you Mm -hmm. know, something that only that they can provide. And, you know, that's the thing about directing. I feel like, like I can't do what, you know, somebody else can do and they can't do what I do. And if everybody, if every director you came across had that, right. I think movies would be better.
0: Mm hmm. yeah there's a certain director for a certain job
1: yeah like you know what you what's you know what um what martin scorsese brings to something is much different than what uh, greta gerwig brings to something right and understanding the fundamental differences that those people bring you know it's it's helpful to understand okay what do i bring to the table
0: Mm -hmm. yeah i
1: don't know if any of this makes sense
0: well it makes sense because it's that way in almost every art form exactly for a band there's many great drummers Mm -hmm. you could have a great drummer you could put like someone amazing like John Bonham with Gillian Welch mm-hmm. and it's not going to work. Yeah. He's a great drummer. Why wouldn't it work? Because his style is different. What he's bringing to it is totally not right. Yeah. So yeah, that's how I think of it.
1: Yeah. I mean, in every art's different, it's just, it's just so much introspection and like understanding like what makes something work. But you know, Greta Gerwig said something that I really liked that was like, we're all, our birthright is storytelling mm-hmm. where it's like, we're, born knowing how to tell a story in some way when we're reciting an anecdote to a friend or a colleague or something like that that's storytelling yeah and it's just about taking advantage of what you are already are given and understanding your niche
0: but then there's the skill of being able to put it out there in a way where it's still raw and vulnerable
1: yeah well that's how ladybird happens (laughs) uh right so it's uh yeah But I I do quite like filmmaking. So, it's very fulfilling. Mm -hmm. And that's all kind of part into Chasing Amy, though. I didn't know that was a job before I saw that movie.
0: So, you're looking to change lives and help people.
1: I don't know about that. I'm mostly... (laughs) (laughs) Fuck (laughs) them. No, I mean, like, I don't... It's so individual at this point where I'm just like... It's a collaborative medium, but... I just want to tell stories that I really like and hopefully other people will latch onto that too. Mm-hmm. You know, I think by virtue of me being a queer filmmaker if I attain some level of success, right? Yep. As a queer and gender nonconforming person or female or whatever, you know, if I if I attain some level of success, then by virtue of that, I you know, change somebody's life maybe.
0: Yeah. And you also, for better or for worse, become kind of a spokesperson for a whole <laughs> <laughs> group of people. No pressure. <laughs> Yeah, it's whether it's that's right or wrong, it's just it's, the yeah. way it is.
1: Yeah, and uh, so I mean, but I think that how you get to that point is to tell stuff that's really authentic and specific to you. So you know, the stuff that I sent you today, yeah, that's a speci- That's the kind of specific stuff I want to do as a narrative filmmaker. You know, I sent you um, a short film I did called Queen for a Day that'll hit the festival circuit um, next year, and then um, in 2019, and then I sent you a script called Pancake Skank, mm-hmm. and I think both those things are like. You know, those show like kind of queer joy that I wanna, I wanna promote in my work, where you know, hashtag no sad gay movies, right? (laughs) Kind of comes in. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah.
0: You want to show the more positive, joyful side, which I'm sure there's so much of.
1: Yeah, I mean, God, we're people. It's not just
0: about struggle.
1: Yeah, people are so much more than the worst things that have ever happened to them. Right. And we have this fascination. I think as a culture to examine what are the worst things that have ever happened to people?
0: Well, we're attracted to the most sensationalized things.
1: Exactly. And you know, it's interesting trying to navigate that as a filmmaker because it's like, yes, you know, what is celebrated is often a dramatic story Mm -hmm. and you know, that's totally fine. But I think you can tell dramatic stories featuring queer people where not everything horrible happening to queer people is the center of it
0: right you know because there's a lot of joy too
1: yeah there's a lot of triumph and our community is strong and, queer and tra- the queer and trans people I know are some of the best people I've ever met mm-hmm. but it's a bummer to you know watch movies that only seem to show like the parts of it that suck right and it's like yeah it's really suck when straight people are shitty to us but also did you know about this did you know about this yeah Um, there's a lot of good in the world
0: yeah and, and if you can capture that feeling of freedom that you must have felt when you came out
1: totally you know, um, sounds and,
0: exhilarating.
1: Uh, it is. And it's exhilarating to be around people that are into my weird ideas, mm-hmm. you know, that are like, this is amazing and weird. And I have to help you make this happen. Even if I'm not part of this community, right. you know, like allyship in that way where they're like, yeah, we'll do this like no budget movie right. with you. Like mm-hmm. that's fun.
0: Yeah. Cause any group of people that has been, you know, degraded against can relate no matter what group of people you are.
1: Totally. It's uh, it's just really cool. It's a really cool time in filmmaking
0: mm-hmm.
1: because there's such an emphasis on uplifting marginalized voices right? Of, of all these different intersections. And I'm just like, cool, there's a pipeline being created. Yeah. That is amazing. You yeah. know, how when I started a couple of years ago, that didn't exist. Yeah. Those initiatives just didn't exist. And so the fact that there's this emphasis on, okay, let's find, you know, queer people, black people, Latinx people, all of these different kinds of folks who have been like historically um underserved let's see if these people have stories to tell and let's help them make their visions become a reality i mean that's rad Mm -hmm. that's just so rad yeah so
0: telling stories that haven't been told yeah incredibly often
1: yeah i mean it's just an exciting time to be doing this i think
0: so as a programmer for slam dance you program the shorts
1: yeah, so I'm one of many, many narrative shorts filmmakers mm-hmm. or uh, programmers, but they curate all of their programmer, programmers from uh, their previous filmmakers. So you have to be an alum to program. Okay. Um, what, what
0: do you look for? Or what do they look for?
1: Well, as a progr- as a programmer, I look for stuff that is innovative. You know, innovations is like a, such a buzzword that it almost doesn't mean anything now. But or I you love know seeing, it when you see it. Yeah, i I love to. See, I love stories that you know I've never seen before. You right. know, if that that's an automatic yes for me. It's if it's if it's something that I know other people aren't doing. Like if I'm genuinely shocked or surprised by your film, I'm like, wow, that's a that's fantastic. Um, a short that uh, I really advocated for, I think in last year's Slam Dance was this short film called Audition, and I don't remember what country it was from, but it was um, a foreign language short. That was just about this woman going to an audition, and she had to bring her baby with her, and it was twenty minutes, and it was one of the most compelling shorts I've seen in a long time. It was just so good.
0: What was the problem with bringing the baby?
1: Well, when you when you know it's like a mom bringing her kid to work, right? And so like the baby would like cry when she was like reading during the audition, and it was like interrupting stuff, and it, but it was like she had she didn't have childcare, her husband wasn't supporting her, and it was just such an oddly honest and compelling look at, like, the struggle of being, like, a a working mom, you know, and, like, having these dreams that you aspire to to achieve, but, you know, what do you do when there's no place for you in the world, when the world doesn't, you know, care about what you're dealing
0: with? Right. What do you do if you find something like that, and it's so good, but the production value isn't good? Like, the lighting is bad.
1: Story is so much more important to me than anything else, Mm -hmm. but typically... Honestly, yeah. Like I rarely see per, and I'm happy to be proven wrong on this. Um but I rarely see a movie where the production values are like abhorrent
0: mm-hmm.
1: where the story is like amazing. Right. Usually those usually things go hand in hand. And often you see like movies with good production values that don't have anything to say. Right. But you know, I'll see really innovative stories that are like purposefully shot on like old DV cameras, mm-hmm. you know, where it's like they're using this like analog kind of format to purposefully do something. And those movies don't look great, but they're not supposed to. They're supposed to, excuse me, they're supposed to be um, reflective of the of the medium that they're choosing to use. Right. And so, you know, production values and, st- I mean, story is more important than anything. But I rarely, I've rarely seen a movie where I was like, this is an amazing story. Right. And like the production values just like didn't add up how many, a little bit. How
0: many, how many shorts do you have to watch to... Uh, um, choose.
1: for, for Slamdance, um, it's my current, this year's batch was 200 films or 50 hours of short films. Okay.
0: And that's just you or everybody? Just me. Just you. Uh,
1: and everybody has that, uh, standard. Right. So, yeah.
0: So how many do you choose out of that?
1: Um, not many.
0: <laughs> <laughs> do you want? do you get a lot of bad ones?
1: You know, bad is such a weird word. I mean, like.
0: Because oh, there's something. A lot
1: of them don't resonate with me or a lot of them, I'm just, you know, the, they didn't resonate with me this year. But, you know, I look at the film and I'm like, I think this filmmaker can make a great film in the future. Right. But it's all about like what really stands out. So it's not about whether your film is good or bad. It's, is it right for Slamdance? Is it right for the audience? Is it right for the other, to go in with the other films that we're programming? Um, and, is, is,
0: there, is there a thing, a theme for Slamdance that they're looking for?
1: It's kind of like anarchy punk rock, mm-hmm. innovative kind of stuff. There's a lot of like really dark films. There's stuff that like plays with genre a lot and there's like like kind of dark comedies. It's uh if you look at the past lineups, it's really kind of about that. Right. Um and so like there are films that I love that I love and I'm like they will never let me program this just because it doesn't fit in with the theme of the festival or the theme that we're programming for that year or what ends up being. Yeah. Um, but that's every film festival, you know, um, every film festival has different audiences that they have to serve. You know, um, slam dance is like a punk rock kind of alternative to Sundance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so while I don't speak for the slam dance organization, you know, I can speak to my perspective um, right, on that and uh but every nice disclaimer yeah yeah i do not <laughs> I'm not an official rep for slam dance i just get to program there <laughs> yeah. um but you know that's that's what i've observed every festival's is different and everybody has a different audience that they're trying to uh, accommodate
0: yeah are you working on your feature film here in new york
1: uh the the chasing amy doc yeah yeah so we're gonna do a shoot in a couple weeks
0: so it's all gonna be filmed in new york
1: not the whole thing so we'll probably go to la for a lot of it and then um
0: do you have a crew that you work with
1: Yeah, um, crew will vary city to city for this one, but, Mm -hmm. um, our chief creative team is me and my friend Drew Burbridge and, um, you know, we're, we've, we've been the two that have been in it from the beginning and he's a producer and, uh, he was the first person I pitched the movie to. And so, you know, from city to city, we'll go to all the different places and then, um you know if people from the new york shoot they're like willing to go to la uh, if, even though we don't have much money you know yeah. that would be uh, that'd be sick
0: you have funding for it already a little bit yeah
1: just a just a tiny bit we're we are looking for more
0: <laughs> <laughs> good to put that out there yeah. yeah um are you trying to get someone from chasing amy involved
1: yeah so um we've got some really cool interviews lined up i can't say who yet but mm-hmm. there's some really cool people who are like yeah i will totally be interviewed for this
0: cuz maybe they want to invest cuz it'll you know, bring some awareness to chasing Amy. People can.
1: Hey, man! Any, I am accepting money <laughs> <laughs> for this project and all
0: future projects. Were you surprised when you uh, were in film school or wherever it was that you learned how much money it takes to make a film?
1: Yeah, I was just like, wait, twenty thousand dollars doesn't buy you everything. You know, when when you hear like this was a multi-million dollar movie, you're like, yeah, but then when you realize how quickly twenty thousand dollars goes, it's right. like, oh. Shit.
0: For people that aren't filmmakers, where does the $20,000 disappear to? For, and that, you could blow that in like a five-minute short, right?
1: Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like uh, the script I sent you, Pancake Skank, that's like a $20,000 short film. Right. Um, where which, does
0: the money go? The, uh,
1: the money just goes It goes so quickly. I don't like, you know, you got to pay for uh, lodging. You got to pay for actors. You got to pay for your crew. You got to pay for um Crew, light, light department. Yeah, rentals. Cap? I mean, mm-hmm. just like... You know, a lot of the cinema cameras that, like, a cinema camera that I would like to use on uh, Pancakes Gank, that's a $20,000 camera. Right. That's a $20,000 camera package. I mean, that's just...
0: So you rent it. You don't buy it.
1: Yeah, we don't buy it. <laughs>
0: um,
1: I'm, I would love to have a camera package in the future like that, but it's just not cost effective for me mm-hmm. at this time. Um,
0: what do you think of the lenses on smartphones? They're getting pretty good.
1: Yeah, I'm pretty impressed with like the the new iPhone, um, the front-facing uh, depth effect that mm-hmm. they've got. I'm yeah. like, yeah, they're doing some pretty innovative things with like smartphone uh, cameras.
0: Have you gotten any? Have you seen any shorts or films filmed just on mobile fo- mobile phones?
1: Well, Tangerine was a uh, was one. Yeah, I didn't think uh, that
0: looked that great, but I think that was mainly the lighting.
1: Yeah, and I also think it had a specific style that they right. were going for. Yeah, but I've I. And that was, like,
0: um, iPhone 5. I mean, come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: uh, you know what? Reed Murano and Olivia Wilde collaborated on a um, on a music video for Edward Sharp and the Magnetic Zeros. Mm-hmm. And Reed Murano is not only a great director now, but she's a world-class cinematographer. And so she made that look gorgeous, and Olivia Wilde directed the video. But, like, those are... I mean, she, Reed Morano is one of the best DPs in the world. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, like, I think it takes a lot of work to make your iphone movie look really good
0: right and uh, that would be a lot of lighting
1: it's a lot of lighting and you know just understanding cinematography like really well i mean again reed morano one of the best dps in the entire world um and and she made it look good but i'm not surprised at that (laughs) yeah but i think a lot of people you know i think you should go out and like make movies on your phone right you know but like No, use the tools you have but know how to use them effectively
0: right so if you're an aspiring filmmaker right now you don't need to have twenty thousand dollars to rent that camera no you can just use an iphone or samsung or whatever yeah and start filming but the lighting is so important
1: yeah the lighting is important and like understanding lenses understanding you know what makes a good movie if you shoot on your iphone try to get some lens diversity in there if you're shooting the same angle the entire movie, unless you're doing something like that's like one shot, it might be a little boring. Like understand, understand why other movies work really well and that'll make your movies work better.
0: When you say lens diversity, do you mean different angles or actually different lenses?
1: Actually different lenses and angles. So if you're shooting everything the same way, that's, that's boring and it doesn't, your cinematography is supposed to help inform your story.
0: Right. Um, It'll become kind of monotone to the eye.
1: Yeah. Or it'll just look like an amateur did it. Um, you know, so, I mean, if you're going to shoot on an iPhone, there are little lens kits that, you know, the equivalent, you know, the equivalent of like what a 50 millimeter <laughs> uh, lens will look like on a, on a DSLR. Yeah. Um, but you know, understand like when you shoot it from this angle, what does this mean? Right. You know, uh, you know, study other people's movies.
0: You sound like you went to film school.
1: I did. I did <laughs> go to film school. It was a good time.
0: Yeah. So how, how has it been? in new york i mean new york is in a pretty intense place yeah and you came from kansas city missouri
1: yeah. uh kansas but yeah,
0: kansas city I'm,
1: I'm from olathe kansas which is a suburb of kansas city missouri okay, right. on the kansas side
0: that's very confusing the kansas city and missouri thing
1: it, it yeah when i explain it to people i'm just like just don't
0: question it like, right okay well <laughs> it's somewhere in the middle of the country yes. you're landlocked
1: yeah yeah
0: yeah so now you're here on an island I am. The island. I, I never of Manhattan. Th- I
1: never think of it as an island.
0: It doesn't feel like an island because there's so many people. Yeah. <laughs> but you're 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 not landlocked anymore. You're yeah. free, you're around like so much creativity. Yeah.
1: I had no I mean like I knew that when I came to New York, which is where I've always kinda like wanted to end up mm-hmm. um since I've been like a cognizant adult. Um mm-hmm. But I I never knew just, like, how much it would, like, set me free to be in a place where there's so many creative people all doing amazing things. Yeah. And just the the access that you have here to, like, different things, like, limited release screenings of movies, like, or, you know, people who are decision makers who, you know, want to give you a shot and help you.
0: Gatekeepers. Major gatekeepers. Yeah.
1: And, like, I'll just, like, run into them at a party like I did with you. Yeah. You know, like you meet somebody at like a book party and then you become friends with that person. And then they ask you to be on their podcast. You know, it's like, it's, it's a, it's a hell of a time.
0: It is. And also all the equipment that's available too.
1: Yeah. I mean, just everybody's doing something amazing. And so you have the opportunity to support them on their journeys and then they're interested in helping you on yours. And you know, uh, I just think it's pretty remarkable.
0: So it sounds like you have a really good attitude. Cause a lot of people come to New York, like like the Simpsons episode where they come to New York and Marge is like, All of a sudden I feel like such a nobody <laughs> Where you're you're not making that that feeling make you feel shrunken. No, no. You're not like at all. excited to be a part of it.
1: Yeah. I mean I'm not I'm not from a place where this stuff happens every day. Right. Where you just get to do like ten amazing things a week. You know, it's uh, it's very much like a. There is an event coming, and you have to prepare for it, or you have to like make your own event or make your own things happen. And you know, here you have to make your own things happen. But there's so many opportunities to meet new people and to collaborate with different artists and learn from everybody. Mm-hmm. I mean, what a privilege!
0: Yeah, yeah. It's good attitude. As a pansexual person, yeah, do you feel uh, more welcome here in New yeah, York? I definitely. Liberal... Yeah, I don't. I don't... <laughs> uh
1: my my gay jokes get a lot more laughs here i think (laughs) Uh right right um no i mean and no one
0: cares like in new york
1: yeah and nobody gives a shit like back home like who's in my like circle right like everybody's like yeah whatever and like a lot of my friends are queer and trans and you know all this stuff but it's uh it's just nice to like i went to the stonewall Inn the other night i'm like wow like the the modern the birthplace of the modern lgbtq rights happened in this bar that's that's amazing yeah Um, it's just, it's, it's so cool to be in this new environment surrounded by so many interesting people.
0: Mm -hmm. You never felt any sort of threat walking around? Like say if you were walking with your girlfriend hand in hand back in Kansas?
1: Uh, I feel that wherever I go. I mean, the last time, the last time anybody yelled dyke at me was, uh, we were, I think we were on the Avenue of the Americas Mm -hmm. a couple of years ago.
0: Here in New York? Yeah.
1: Huh. A bunch of teenagers. So, I mean, like, homophobia is everywhere. Um, you know, New, New York isn't necessarily an egalitarian, you know, uh, place in that way or more feminist. Oh, we got plenty of jerks home. here, too. Yeah. But it is nice to, you know, to, to everything's open and there's, uh, people don't seem to, like, identify you necessarily as hard by what makes you different here. Right. It's nice.
0: Yeah. It's, I think it's for two reasons. I think people are just don't care mm-hmm. or they're just overwhelmed and they're just like thinking about themselves anyway.
1: Right. And all the gays flock to New York. So like nobody gives
0: a shit. <laughs> yeah. You can't really live here and have a problem with that.
1: Yeah. Or, you know, Gang of uh, street gays will come and kick your ass or something. That'd be great. (laughs) (laughs) That's That's my next movie. (laughs) Gang of street gays.
0: Yes. Bring back like warriors, but like a gay version. (laughs) Exactly.
1: Oh my God. Okay. We have to talk. So Walter Hill, uh, he did this movie called Streets of Fire. Have you ever seen it? No. Okay. Watch that. people are like if you ever did a remake what would that be and i'd be like i would remake streets of fire and make it extremely gay (laughs) (laughs) i actually
0: have a script for you i have a i have a sketch that yes yes i'll send it to you because it is exactly that
1: yes amazing (laughs) that's fantastic
0: so when you become i'm going to be very positive now when you become (laughs) a famous filmmaker (laughs) okay are you going to be kind of annoyed that the media at least where the media is now uh-huh. The media will say famous queer filmmaker, Savannah Rogers.
1: Nah. I, I like being queer.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Do you I mean, just wish they would say filmmaker?
1: Sure, in some context, but I'm also happy to um I would be happy to to be an example of like a queer filmmaker. But there's so many other amazing queer filmmakers. Who you know don't even get the would never even get those headlines you know mm. so like if I was ever lucky enough to get that that'd be that'd be really cool um, but I uh, I just you know I want to make happy queer things you know I want to make you know movies that make people laugh or I want to make documentaries that make you think
0: you want to make gay gay things
1: yeah <laughs> exactly <laughs> um, but yeah and so I and I embrace my identity I spent so long like trying to like hide a part of myself that i just can't be bothered with whatever you know if right. it says feminist filmmaker savannah rogers gender non-conforming filmmaker savannah rogers uh dipshit filmmakers <laughs> <Savannah Rogers, laughs> <laughs> at least they're talking about my movie
0: right that's that's a good attitude and that's true yeah hey dave yeah randy since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks underwear and t-shirts are super soft So, when you give the TED Talk, did you say December 5th or 9th? 5th. Uh, fifth. 5th. Fifth. Is it open to the public?
1: Um, no, but it will be online in a couple of months.
0: Cool. What, it's going to come online after December 5th, I imagine?
1: Yeah. So, th- they'll take a bit to like edit the TED Talk. Oh, right. And then, um, yeah, and then it'll be online on TED.com. And then, if I'm lucky, it gets featured. So. Mm-hmm. Which means exciting. that you get it in your email blast. You get it in your push notification on your TED app. Yeah. It pops up on YouTube. as like a suggested video, like that'd be rad
0: unfortunately your future documentary won't be ready no but
1: um we're hoping that the ted talk can like help Mm -hmm. like all right because i mentioned that this is what i'm doing now you know to bring it back full circle and uh it's a it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting the response from that yeah um i had a colleague that was like hey do you have um do you have your next film ready how about the film after that how about the film after that no pressure yeah because they were just like you know if something good happens with this talk you got to be ready and i was like okay well i'm gonna polish all my scripts and uh see what happens
0: yeah that's no that's good advice yeah Mm -hmm. great
1: advice she's incredible
0: yeah exciting stuff happening
1: i yeah i certainly think so
0: yeah thanks for sharing it with us
1: yeah thanks for having me man